Lined into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Gone! Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. Uh, all right, we are now joined by a very, very special guest for episode 98 of Breaking Bats, presented by Not For Long Media. Uh, it is the man himself. It is Brian O'Grady, back blessing the airwaves once again. Uh, well, also with a new plant behind him, so that must have been new. <laughs> Brian, how are you? Dude, you know, you just read my mind. I was, like, sitting here thinking about this tree that I have right behind me um, when you were doing the introduction. So uh, I'm doing great. Uh, my plant back here is obviously doing great too. Uh, good to be back and talking to you. Happy late birthday for all the people who didn't know. Justin turned the big twenty-seven last week. Um, he's getting he's getting old. So we were talking about that, but always good to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm self-conscious about a lot of things, um, and that's and my being twenty-seven is one of them. It's just a weird, just a weird year. Every year I get closer to thirty, I just have a little self-reflection moment of like. Oh, damn. Okay. Probably should stop eating ice cream for dinner every now and again. Uh, but you know what? We're going to keep at it. Age is just the number. Uh, but thank you. I really appreciate that. Uh, there's so much to talk about. There's so much to talk about. Uh, but I wanted to start with you, though, because I think you came on here a couple months ago. It was like the playoffs. Um, you know, we're approaching the new year. I'm wondering what what's like the offseason routine looking like for you now? I, I, I heard you say you, you're doing some swings for the first time in a little bit. Like, how's that going? And how's the baseball stuff going for you? Yeah, I started hitting on Sunday again. So tonight I did not hit Monday because usually I'm really sore after the first first day you get back hitting. Wasn't that bad, but didn't hit Monday uh, and just got done hitting. Tonight it feels good to be back and swinging the bat. And Sunday, yeah, it was funny because – Swings felt awful, which is typically how it works after you don't swing a bat for two and a half months or whatever it was. And, you know, I get done and look at my Twitter, and there it is. You tweet the me going two for two off Shohei Otani. And uh, it was just a good reminder that, you know what, I can actually swing the bat. I'm not that bad. So I appreciate that. But everything's good. Yeah, just, uh, you know, doing my normal offseason thing, getting ready, running, working out, now hitting, and just, Waiting for uh, waiting for that call from my agent that I'll have a I'll chance you know a chance somewhere. How much running are we doing? Are we doing like some serious mileage or like sprints again? You would be proud. I actually ran one mile the other day on the treadmill, and that is the first time I've ran a mile I think since I was in high school for basketball. And that was when I was in like unbelievable running shape and only 180 pounds, and I hated it then. So I am not a distance guy. So for me to run one mile on my own, just because David Goggins took over my body, um, it's pretty crazy. But other Did than you that, carry... mostly sprints and stuff. Okay, so it sounds like you carried the boats and the logs that day. Yes. Some, some David yeah. Goggins. It was uh, – you know what? I'm probably going to do it again tomorrow, to be honest with you. I don't know. I got to uh, – yes. I feel like I just need to start putting it in the arsenal. It's not a bad thing to have in there. I just, it blew my mind anytime. I I think I even asked Pete this question. He's like, God, no, I don't run. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Major league athletes, so like, they just don't run distances. Is that just not what they do? Uh, but I'm glad you're doing a mile. That's, hey, build it up a mile here. Then you'll do a 5K. Then you'll be doing a marathon like I will next year. I don't know if I'll do a marathon, but yes, the plan is, is to build it up a little bit, get, you know, a couple miles under my belt at least. You just feel good doing it. You'll get that runner's high. Yeah, put some put some good stuff in the headphones. Like, yeah, I, this is the beginning of, of something awesome for you, Brian. I can feel it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I'm not. I'm still not technically built for for uh, endurance running. I don't think, but you know, we'll keep giving our best effort. What are you gonna do? Uh, it, I'm I'm glad you enjoyed the Otani two for two. Every now and again, you just need to be reminded, like. And that's funny that that was like the time that I chose to do it because it was like Otani weekend. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. You know, who's two for two off the guy who does that? Brian. Um, so I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed that. I, that made my day. Yeah, it really was. It was great. And 
that day it was funny. I wasn't supposed to start that day. I think I think it was Will Myers. Uh, something uh, he wasn't feeling good or something was bothering him, and so I ended up like late late addition to start that game, and Otani was pitching, and uh, I was like, yes, you know, and it was funny too because after the 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 second hit, I smoked the line drive, and I got the first base, and Albert Pujols is playing first base. So I was like, what's up, man? He's like, hey, I really like your swing. And I was like, oh, shit. That was like one of the coolest things in my life. Albert Pujols saying that. I was like dying on the inside. I'm like, hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it, you know. But like 12-year-old me on the inside was like, holy shit, that's Albert Pujols. <laughs> this is so cool. That's that's awesome. Also, I think you let off that game. Is is lead off your favorite spot to hit or what if you had to pick? Is that what's what in the order? Dude, I've actually let I've let off a lot in my life. Um, I do enjoy leading off, honestly. But if I could pick, I like either I like batting second a lot, and I do like hitting third. But I so I'd probably pick second or third. But lead off was a, a lot of fun too. I I don't like hitting fourth or fifth as much because I like hitting in that first inning, getting the you know getting the first at back going and, and see so you're just kind of in the groove of the game after that. Ooh. Okay. Side note. Uh, I was going back and I was watching a bunch of your, uh, cause we're doing another mystery video at the end. Uh, I was trying to find the cool one and I noticed a lot of your home runs were first pitches. Um, and we had Josh Lowe on here and I, it was funny when we had Josh, we we're like, dude, you're hitting 580 on the first pitch. Like he's like, I think, I think tonight's game, I'm just going to go up there and swing at four pitches now after hearing that. Um, First pitch though, is there, there's something to that, right? You're just, you're probably going to get a fastball. You're looking, you're going up there looking to swing. I think it all depends um, on the situation and stuff, but yeah, I think you need to be ready to swing first pitch always because that might be the only pitch you get or the best pitch you get the whole at bat. And, you know, most guys aren't, aren't hitters who want to go up there and, see pitches and work that count and you kind of try to do that yeah I'm, if you throw me first pitch fastball on the plate i'm taking a hack at it and I, you know or really anything that's going to be over the middle of the plate you kind of want to take a hack at it so yeah i think being aggressive and ready on that first pitch can throw uh can throw some pitchers off and stuff too so always ready for that so even if it's like a first pitch you swing at it and like pop it up and it's like one pitch one out like that's that's not necessarily a bad thing then. It's just like, all right, that was my pitch. I just didn't get enough of it. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think there's situations in the game that dictate whether or not you need to take a pitch. Uh, if you're just standing in the field for 30 minutes and your pitcher was, you know, working hard and he's got to go back out there, maybe you don't want to – if you're leading off that next inning, maybe you shouldn't swing at the first pitch. But – um no, I think especially at the big league level, like if you're going to fastball down the middle, man, take a hack at it. <laughs> you know, like you got it. You you can't really let those go. But people are different, so some people like you know. But for the most part, yeah, if you got some pop, I think you you know you got to be you got to be swinging the bat. I didn't even think about the situational part of it. Yeah, you're right. Cause, yeah, if you're just like. If you just one pitch, one out, and everybody in the order does that, it would be very, very stressful for the pitcher to have to go back out there after 30 seconds of sitting down. Um, these are things we don't think about as fans, so I like that. Yeah, sometimes, but, you know, if you do that, and then the second guy's like, well, fuck, you know, because then he <laughs> knows he's got to take at least one pitch, if not two. So if you do swing at the first one in that situation, you better, you better do something good with it. But that is also sometimes the best time to do it because – then usually a fastball is really coming right down the middle because the other pitcher knows that too. Wow. Okay. We might just have to, yeah, that I'm making a mental note. I'm just like now I'm fascinated by situational hidden. And before we get to the news, we wanted to give a shout out to two apparel sponsors of this podcast. The first is zero negative. They are a brand out to inspire and empower individuals to find a positive message in everything they do. Every time they promote positivity and mindfulness in all of their products they make, check them out. Zero negative.com. And last but not least, few will hunt. 
It is one of my favorite brands out there. It's a great American company out of Philadelphia. They are out to restore the dignity of hard work. It is by far my favorite shirt to work out in. Check them out at fewwillhunt.com. Now back to the episode. I have uh, a bunch of big news items to talk about, Brian, and they're multifaceted. Uh, Shohei Otani. There's like 30 things with Shohei Otani. I, I didn't do a lot of Otani talk before this because his rumors, honestly, like there's so much like stuff floating out there. And there was, he almost went to the Blue Jays and he almost went here, but he ended up going to the Dodgers on Saturday. He did interrupt my Army Navy game viewing. So um, that's time I'll never get back. Uh, that kind of made me upset. The greatest over in sports history, by the way, Army Navy this week. Um, that's safety to end it. That's, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, anyway. It was the best. That was the best moment of my life. Um, but 10 years, $700 million broke the internet on Saturday. Well, let's start with like, we'll talk about the deferrals in a second because there's so much with that. But when Otani went to the Dodgers and you know he was going to be in there with Betts and Freeman putting the AL MVP with the second and third NL MVP finishers, like what did you think about that for the Dodgers and just the balance of power in the NL West? Obviously, that top of the lineup is unbelievable three ridiculous hitters two lefty one righty it's kind of perfect but it it to me I would have been shocked if he ended up anywhere else other than the Dodgers so the whole time I kind of figured that was happening it just made the most sense they're consistently good you know not he can stay in Southern California the proximity to Japan as far as the United States goes um it, there was just kind of a lot of signs pointing to that in my mind. So I figured it was going to happen. I wish he ended up at the Blue Jays. I think that would have been crazy to have him go there uh, and just throw more stuff in the AL East there. It would have been cool to see him and um, Bichette and Vladdy Jr. in a lineup. But, man, they're going to be really good. They've been really good. But as we've seen, doesn't mean that you win – in the postseason, so I'm I'm very interested to see how many how many wins they're going to have this year because I I think it'll be a lot, but we'll see if it ultimately pays off and they win a World Series. The the stuff on Twitter coming out about this, there's so many fun like memes and and jokes that I've seen. One of my favorites was like, "Who's going to stop this Dodgers lineup?" And somebody said, "Some like starter you've never heard of." On an 83 win wild card team, probably. <laughs> that's yep. That's literally what happened. I mean, you know, you can't. It's baseball's just that way. Sometimes they could all hit cold streaks at the wrong time, or maybe the Dodgers pitching doesn't throw as wide. There's just so much that can happen. So even though you have that, those top three and some other really good players too, man, you just you just don't know. You can't. That's why they go out and play the games, right? Absolutely. That one through three, it's it's probably the best in baseball. If it's if not, it's the most fun. But I saw so many people just gassing the Dodgers lineup as a whole up. Um, and I did a video about this over the weekend, just like kind of breaking down like the four through nine in the Dodgers lineup is like, it's not great. Do, do you think that the Dodgers have the best lineup in baseball right now? Or is it still the Atlanta Braves? Oh, that's a good question. I think the Braves is probably a little more deep. But those top, the top three of the Dodgers, I'm tough to tough to beat those guys. But that is that is very close because Acuna is, as we know, just ridiculous. And the rest of that lineup: Austin Riley, Matt Olson. What a you know great year. I, I, that is that's a tough one. I think I'd probably go Dodgers top three. But yeah, overall depth, I think the Braves probably have a better lineup, top to bottom. The Braves had, I think they tied the major league record for home runs in a single season and the Dodgers were right up there too. But um, yeah, I, and like my thing with this Dodgers lineup is like they had JD Martinez was their full-time DH last year. He had, he had 33 and 103 and then Otani had 44 and 95. And I know like Otani has better on base and better average and stuff like that. But like, it's just like, it's a, it's an upgrade over JD, but it's not like this giant leap. Um, but I, I was getting roasted because I was saying like, you know, the Dodgers four through nine, they it's a lot of swing and miss and a lot of low average. And people are like, oh, this loser, he's still using batting average as like a statistic to like judge people on. Uh, I guess my question is like, 
should I still be using batting average to determine if a hitter's good or not? Yes, I still think it matters. Don't like, don't get me wrong. And I'm a guy who you know hasn't had the greatest batting average, so uh, it's. I do think it can not tell the whole picture of a hitter for sure. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about this before. Yeah. If you're hitting, if you're hitting 300, but you have like three homers and four walks to go with it. I mean, that's not that valuable, you know? Uh, so there's definitely caveats to it, I guess. But I think, I think now it, the game is, is starting to go back to, wanting or teams are starting to go starting to go back to wanting higher contact guys guys who are going to put the ball in play guys who are going to hit for a little bit better average instead of you know more strikeouts and and more power because I think MLB as a whole doesn't like where that's kind of gone even though obviously the easiest way to score a run is to just hit a ball over the fence. But, but uh, I think, I think the value of putting the ball in play and just getting hits is, is coming back more than it, it did, you know, the past few years where everyone was just like OPS homers walks, doesn't matter if you hit 199, but then you have like Kyle Schwarber, you know, who hit what 200 or if that and had, all the homers and walk like, so it can go both ways. You can get, get it done in different styles, but that's like an extreme example. So I still think to answer your question after all that. Yeah. I think, I think batting average definitely matters. Yeah. Cause it's like just growing up, you, you learn that like a 200 hitter is like, it's not very good. Um, and I, I pointed out, I was like, well, Max Muncy is another one of those kind of like Schwarber guys where he ha- will have, what did he have? Thirty three and one oh five, but then he hit two twelve. So it's like, yeah, I mean the homers and RBIs are awesome. You're driving run guys in. You're obviously you know hitting homers when guys are on base, and that's great. But like, you know, two twelve is just like, that's a lot of strikeouts. That's a lot of grounding out. Like it's not you're not a complete player if you're hitting two twelve. And people are like, oh well, you know Max Muncy's you know he does a lot of stuff. And I was just like, well, I don't know. I, I'm glad to hear that like. Cause I still, I still think there's value in, in batting average. I think if you're not, if you're a two twelve hitter, like you got to figure that out. I don't think there's any major league hitter who is going up there and wants to see, you know, look up at the scoreboard and see two twelve next to their name, regardless of how many homers and stuff you have. You always want to, you want to have a good average. Um, you know, like I said, does that mean? Muncy's not valuable because his average was, was that low. No, it doesn't necessarily mean that, but could he be more valuable by putting the ball in play more? Absolutely. And you know, it's easier said than done. Like I said, every, every big league hitter wants to hit 300 and hit 30 homers and then drive in a hundred. Like that's what everyone is striving for. It's not easy. It's extremely hard as, as we know, but, um, it just seems that the feel and the the things I'm hearing, it, it seems that the higher contact average is starting to make a comeback. I like that. Yeah, because it, it definitely went away for a while. It definitely was like Joey Gallo, 40 homers, 90 RBIs, 200 yeah. average. And it was like, he's like a league average hitter at that point. And you're like, what? He's got 40 homers. Yeah, um, well, you, you see like the, the Diamondbacks, you know, they had some pop too, but they – they had a lot of hits, you know, they were putting the ball in play. It just, it, it seems, and it, especially in the playoffs too, like you kind of see it every year. Guys are playing a little bit harder in the playoffs. You know, they're running things out full speed because they know this is what they were saving up some of that stuff throughout the 162 games for. And then you see more, more errors being made and things like that, more pressure on guys. So I think the philosophy is changing a little bit to like, yeah, let's put the ball in play. Let's try to just try to get some hits sometimes and and make the defense work and and just see what happens, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of why like the Dodgers bottom of the order, like, yeah, it's not going to be as good. Like the lineup's going to be great at the top. And then, you know, the rest of the order, you're just like, 
ground out, fly out, pop out. Like it's going to be, it's not, it's not great. Um, the other thing going back to Otani and I, I literally, Brian, I spent like two hours today reading articles about trying to figure this out about the deferred money because it's 10 years, 700 million. So you think it's 70 a year. And then it's actually 2 million a year guaranteed for 10 and then 680 for 10 years after that. And then the first people's first reaction and ours was too, is like, that can't be right. That MLB has to stop this. And then the CBA apparently just says unlimited deferrals. Um, your reaction when you saw how much Shohei is going to be getting when he's like a middle-aged man. First reaction when I saw 700 million, I literally laughed. I was sitting there on the couch next to my wife and I just started cracking up. I was like, how, <laughs> what, you know, like the, the Passan tweet, like Shohei signs with the Dodgers or whatever. And then the next tweet, 10 years, 700 million. I just, I literally started laughing. I was, that is the most absurd thing I've ever read in my life. Seven, because, you know, I was expecting, I was expecting like high fives, I think, like close to six. And I feel like that was what a lot of people were saying, you know, never did I think seven, like, holy shit. What a good for him. I mean, good for him. But then you see the deferrals and yeah, it's legal totally allowed by CBA, like you said, but in my mind, I don't think anybody thought, you know, either side at, at the bargaining table, MLB and the, the players union thought that first of all, someone was going to get to $700 million one, but two that they would defer 680 million of those dollars. Um, just because, I mean, I don't know how many guys. Shohei makes so much in endorsements off the field. I, th- I think I saw I saw like forty million last year or something like that, and just in- endorsements. So, not like he's hurting for money, but that is, I mean, it's just it's just insane. I don't know if there's anybody else who would be willing to defer that amount of money because nobody else makes close to that and endorsement money anyway but yeah it just seems like they not abused the rule but it just nobody thought that this type of deferment would be like a possibility so you know they can't change the cba now i don't know when it's up but i feel like that next cba it's gonna have to be talked about because now teams are gonna i mean listen the dodgers have (laughs) tons of money now they got to pay Shohei only $2 million for these next 10 years, and they can go get, you know, Yamamoto from Japan or whoever else. I saw Hater. They want Hater. Like, it's, it's, it, it just seems like it's not, you know, in the best interest of baseball if, if that's all out. But, you know, I, other teams, I guess, could have done it too, or if, if Otani wanted to go there. I'd go to another team. It was, they could have did this, but I, yeah, I can't get over Like, it's still crazy to me. I, I can't believe that's what he's, that's what they're doing. And then, yeah, the flip side of it too is he's going to be a middle-aged man done playing and making $68 million from the Dodgers payroll. So yeah, maybe they're going to struggle with that down the line, but right now for probably the rest of his career, man, they're going to, you're gonna be right there. The, like deferred money is like a thing. Is like it's usually a good like win-win for both sides because it's like you get payroll flexibility in the short term. You get the Bobby Bonilla type deal, like or the Max Scherzer, where he's getting like half of his money from the Nationals was deferred, so like he's getting like a cool fifteen mil for a while after. Um, but yeah, it definitely felt like they found a loophole where unlimited was just a thing. And apparently he was, I think Shohei was the one who might even suggested this. Like, what if you just give me nothing and then you can just give me every player that's good guy. And I tweeted that, like, he was so tired of being on bad teams. He's like, screw it. Give me, give me pennies and then go out and sign. Yeah. Yamamoto hater, go get literally whoever to make sure I win. Um, I was reading because again, I, I spent a lot of time this afternoon reading the apparently. So the value of a dollar decreases so the contract has a present day value of 460 mil. So his CBT luxury tax thing hit per year is 46 mil a year. 
for 10 years. Um, I don't fully understand how that works, but apparently the deferred money also is like, he's not gonna have to pay California state tax on that. Uh, as somebody who played in California, how much do California state taxes suck? <laughs> Dude, they're brutal. I can't even imagine what his paycheck would look like with, uh, you know, if he was raking in that 68 mil in California, you know, that's like right off the top 30, 30 mil is just gone. probably. <laughs> Which yes, you still have all that left, but it still hurts to see all that taxes coming out. Um, yeah. I listen. Does that make sense that the tax thing, you know, he can like move to Florida when he's making $68 million. So he doesn't have to worry about that. Yeah, sure. But, like you said, it just seems like they found a loop, a legal loophole that no one thought was truly a possibility. And, you know, I guess good for them. It bothers me because I just, it's, it just seems like too crazy still. But he wants to win. Other teams could have did it if, if that's where he wanted to go. And, man, I'm just interested to see how fans react to him. Like if fans are – bothered by this now if he's going to get like if they're going to get booed if they go to on the road and stuff like that i'm just curious to see how because uh, the twitter sentiment seems to be people are pissed <laughs> that that this happened i know san diego people are pissed because they've been all over my twitter and and the stuff i'm seeing uh because what what was the um oh it was the judge contract they offered judge yep 14 years or like whatever to spread out the the money and uh mlb said no or something like or they said it wasn't something along those lines yeah and now they're pissed because the dodgers are doing this with otani i did read that yeah because they wanted to pay judge what he whatever he's making now but just spread out until he's like 44 or something and mlb is like no you can't do that because you know you're giving him all that money until he's 44 it's not gonna be worth it or whatever um yeah, and then just yeah, you can just give Shohei like deferred money out the ass when he's forty <laughs> to fifty. Like that makes sense apparently. Um, do you think that this is the beginning of this kind of trend? Like, will this start a larger like the the next younger wave of superstars that are come up for free agency? Like, we're gonna see a dollar or like you know a couple mil here and there, and then just get all of it at when you're fifty. I, I don't think it'll be a trend. I think maybe some of the top guys will have similar arrangements. I don't think anybody – Otani's just one of one, like we, like we were just talking about. So I don't think anybody will have this exact style. But do I think guys will take some pay cuts who are, you know, who are really making big money and, and do the deferred – money so that the team can be more flexible and get better players or get other players, whatever. Yeah. I think there's probably some guys who will, who will try to do that now. Cause it does make sense. But to this scale to, you know, to this extreme, I, I don't, I don't see that happening to anybody else. Maybe I saw, I, you know, what's going to be interesting. Soto's contract now will be, will be really interesting. I was just about to say that because Yankees fans were like, okay, now the blueprints out there here's what we have to do for Soto, give him nothing and then defer all of it so we can keep him. Uh, so that was, I was, I wanted to go there next was because the, we didn't, I don't think we've talked about this yet anywhere. Um, Cause I think Ryan and I recorded before they traded him. And it was just like the Yankees acquired, of course, Soto and Trent Grisham for Michael King, Drew Thorpe, Johnny Brito, Randy Vasquez, Kyle Higashioka, um, who can play guitar, by the way. I don't know if you saw that. Higashioka is apparently a very good guitar player. <laughs> I did. I, uh, our buddy Woods uh, is a guitar nut too, so he he retweeted a video or whatever saying I like this guy or something like that. So I did see his guitar skills. It's pretty good. He's he playing. Uh, he's playing Iron Maiden. No, yeah, I forget. It was good though. He he could play. They need to get a jam band going out there in San Diego. <laughs> we interrupt this episode to bring you a word from the official sponsor of Not for Long Media and the Breaking Bass Podcast, the Original Fudge Kitchen. It is a staple of the Jersey Shore with six locations in Cape May, Wildwood, North Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and Ocean City. The Original Fudge Kitchen makes all of their fudge in-store guaranteeing a delicious product, so stop by and let them know that Not For Long Media and Breaking Bats sent you. Check them out online at fudgekitchenswithans.com as they are shipping fudge and sweet treats all across the country. Now back to the episode. There's so much to dissect from this, this deal. We'll start with the Yankees side, though. All the, all the people they just gave up to get him like 
it's it's crazy because like the Padres and Yankees needed each other because the Yankees had pitching and catching depth and the Padres needed that. Um, but the the guys that the Yankees gave up though, Michael King under two ERA when he was a starter. Those other pitchers are very solid. Drew Thorpe was the minor league pitching prospect of the year last year. Um, I I hate to give like a letter grade assignment to this because I've seen that like Bleacher Report like oh that's a D. Um, do you think the Padres made out well getting all the guys they got from the Yankees? Yeah, I do. I obviously trading Juan Soto hurts, but it seems like they got some really good young pitching. Um, like you said, Mike, Michael King had a really good run as a starter last year, and those were needs for the Padres. It just it didn't seem uh, or sound like Soto was going to be doing any extension until he hit free agency, you know, and the Padres payroll already the way it was just seems – seems like it wasn't going to work out to me, man, for Juan Soto feels like a Yankee. I don't know why. Like it just, in my mind, he just feels like he belongs with the Yankees. Uh, I feel like him and those pinstripes, like everything, it's just going to look right. And he's probably going to end up being a Yankee for like the rest of his career, uh, which, you know, he'll probably hit a million homers to, to right field there. But I think the Padres did did the best they could. And the Yankees, honestly, too, I think they needed to make some sort of spa- splash. I still think, uh, you know, they got to <clears throat> do something uh, on the pitching side. But that being said, the way last year went, Soto seemed like he had to – the Yankees had to get Soto, you know. And now that's going to be a uh, – that's a hell of an outfield um, they got there. So we'll see uh, how the Yankees turn out <laughs> turn out this year. Just pains me. Yeah, he de- he definitely felt like a Yankee, but this is a one year thing because he's gonna go get a bag somewhere else. Um, there's a lot of things to talk about with this. The Yankees rotation now because they just stripped away all their pitching depth. It's like Garrett Cole, Rodon, who was bad last year, uh, Cortez, who was not very good, and it's like Clark Schmidt, and it's like. I'm if you're a Yankees fan, are you just like we have to outslug people now? We have to score ten runs to make up for the fact our pitching is going to give up eight. <laughs> I listen. They're they got it. They're going to have to hit. You know they they're stuck with some of the contracts, um, but they need. I you know I know they're. I've seen they're they're going after Yamamoto hard, who they probably really want. Um, there's other pitchers out there on the market. They, they got to do something with, with the pitching side for sure. You know, there's no way that you're just going to outslug everybody to the, to the world series. Judge and Soto, man, I'm that's, those are two, a righty and a lefty too. I mean, that's, that's great. That's a great start for them, but I still think they, they have a lot of work to do. Tampa is going to be Tampa over there. I don't, Baltimore I'm a biased Baltimore. Yeah. Baltimore. Exactly. Because Baltimore, I think I said this to you before the playoffs last year, you know, I, I know they had a great season and I didn't think they'd really do too much in the playoffs. I didn't think it'd be, you know, as quick as it was, but um, those guys, they got that experience now and they're all coming back this next year. And I'm sure the Orioles going to add a piece or two. That is a legit team. Yeah, the Yankees are in a serious fight over there. And, you know, I'm from Philly, so I don't feel bad for the, the New Yorkers. <laughs> um, no, I obviously, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so, praying to go. Yeah. I'm sorry. I grew up I grew up in Philly until, I, until um, you know, sixth grade, and then we moved 25 minutes outside Philly. My bad. Nope. I don't – the internet told me otherwise. I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> No, don't don't believe him. He's not a Philadelphian. He's not. He's from the suburbs. You know what Fox it County. is? Is because I've lost my accent over the last thirteen years of of not really living up there full time. Of just being all over the place and being friends with people from all over the United States. He's he might still have a, just a tinge of an accent still. Just a tinge. I don't really say "use guys" anymore. You say "use guys" all the time. It's more like "y'all" now because I live in the Panhandle, of Florida, but. You know, it's all right. It's fine. Yeah, 
No, I have an accent too. I talk to people around here and I'm just like, I cut the ends of words off. I have a very Eastern shore of Maryland kind of redneck accent. Yeah, it's fine. We, we, we deal with it. Can't change where you're from, except for Brian, because he's not from Philly. Got me. Um, I had a question because my gut reaction when I saw Soto go into the Yankees was to nitpick it and nitpick Soto as a player. Uh, I can't do that with the offense, although there was a stretch two years ago into this year for a little bit. He was not hitting very well. So I was like, hey, 230 hitter, no thanks. Um, there is a lot of Soto's game that needs work. He His base running and his fielding in particular, he, I, he's just one of the worst fielding outfielders in baseball. Negative six defensive runs saved. Only nine full-time outfielders were worse. And he was minus three base running outs above average. He was fourth worst in baseball. Is fielding and base running, is that too nitpicky? Or can I hang my hat on that that's a big deal? For Juan Soto, it's probably too nitpicky. I mean, he's a generational hitter. That's what he's out there to do. The other stuff is just kind of whatever. He's, you know, he's out there for... To, to drive the ball, hit some homers and doubles, take all those walks like he does. They don't care what he's doing on the, on the bases or, or defensively. Sorry, dude. Well, he's so bad at defense. He's so bad. Like, he's generationally bad at playing defense. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know the stats and stuff like you just said, but all I know is he's generational at, at hitting, and that don't come along very often. So, dude, he's how old is he? Twenty. Five, four. I think four? he's twenty-four. That is, I mean, that is nuts. Come on, like that is insane. We've been talking about this dude for fifty years, and he's twenty-four years old. Doesn't he make <laughs> sense? 20. Okay, here's another thing for you, Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge was in the corner. Now he's got to be the full-time Yankee center fielder. He's a gigantic human who has injury problems. Uh, I think they're have to put Soto in right because there's less space to, for him to fuck up playing uh, defense in the outfield. And then Verdugo off to play left because I think he's a little bit better at playing, you know, defense. Um, Judge 162 games at center field won't work out. True or false? Listen, he's a really good athlete. I don't think – I think that's more stress than they want to put on him for sure. Obviously, Grish was in that trade as well. Uh, Two-time goal glover at center field. I'm sure later in games – Chris is going to be out there playing center field, whether that's, you know, taking Soto out. I don't know who's coming out of that equation. If it's, if it's Verdugo, I, I don't know, but I can't imagine even, even though judge can, can handle center field. I, I can't imagine that they want to put that much on his plate for those reasons that, that you just said. Um, so great. You know, Chris is going to, is going to be out there. It's just a matter of, of, when or you know if they if they give Stanton a day off and and da Soto or whatever it is and and just kind of move things around that way, but yeah, they I don't think uh, their plan is to really play Judge 162 games out there. I've heard so much about like wear and tear and just like playing center field on your body um, as a major league center fielder. What what does that mean? What does playing center do to your body that other positions don't? It's just, you know, you got to cover more room. You just more, you're the captain out there. You just got to take charge more. Um, if you can go and catch it, you're supposed to catch it. Uh, there's just backing up. You're just, you're just doing a lot and you, you just have the most responsibility. So preferably you don't want your best hitter, gigantic human out there running around doing that just from, from that standpoint. But, um, you know, it's not, it's not totally different from – a lot of times center field is easier than right field and left field just because of the way the ball comes off the bat. You have a better angle straight on. The balls aren't doing as, um, you know, different things as they can do when you're in the corners. So from like a Reed's perspective, a lot of times center field is easier, but you just got more ground to cover and a little bit more to do and more responsibility. I'd rather play yeah. center field than the other two. That's a good point. Yeah, because the gaps and stuff, like you're you're in charge of like the gaps, right? When it's like a ball straight back there, you're just like, all right, I have to make this weird angle and sprint, right? Yeah, so I, you don't, I mean, technically speaking, if you're playing in the corners, you really don't, and a ball's hit to the outfield, you should be moving to do something either way, backing up or, or getting the ball. 
But in center field, for sure, you're moving on every ball that's hit to the outfield, really every play. So can you take a little bit more of a break in the corner? Yeah, but I guess maybe statistically speaking, too, the more balls get hit the center field than the other two. I'm not sure. Could be. But I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's like a dramatic difference. I just think specifically for Aaron Judge, it's it's more than the Yankees want to put on his plate. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, every single ball that's hit up into the outfield, you have to be like up and just, you know getting in your stance and, and tracking it and stuff. That's that's a good point. That's a lot of that's a lot of extra steps in his step counter. Um, because again, he is was he six eight like two eighty? Like I saw oh I saw one thing. People were like somebody was trying to defend the fact that he is injury prone. He's like, well, you know, his injury was in right field or something. It's like, well, yeah, but there's a fence everywhere. Like that doesn't he's he could crash into all of them. Like that doesn't mean it's only in right field he's gonna hit the fence hard. Yeah, yeah. It's it, I I I think he's just a special case more than anything. Yeah, and he's so he's so important to the Yankees. Like he's just ridiculously important to the Yankees. I saw what happened to that lineup when he went down. It was like Rizzo was hitting like one eighty. Like like Stanton was hitting like two hundred. Like. I just feel like the the with and without Aaron Judge stats are very very stark um, for a lineup that hits like 200 overall. Anyway, you were correct. Um, from the Padres side of this, though, uh, I I keep hearing this phrase transition period, and I don't think that means full scale rebuild because like how can you rebuild with Tatis and Machado and all those guys? Um, have you seen what they're doing with payroll though? They, they're letting almost all of their big free agents walk or have already walked. Um, can, can a team headlined by the guys I just mentioned, like, can this team, like, can they be bad? Like, what are, what are the expectations for this year? I don't think they can be bad, man. There's too many good players there. I think they'll probably, you know, they still have, they got you and, and Musgrove at the top of the rotation there. Um, obviously Michael King's going to slide right in there, probably at the three, I think right now. And then they're going to get two back end guys or, or whatever they think. I, I still think they're going to be very good. I know they've been <clears throat> linked to the Korean center fielder. Um, I think it's Jung-Hoo Lee is yep. his name um, a lot. So there, there are two, I mean, you still got Hassan Kim had a phenomenal year last year. I think he was like a, what, like a six war play. Like he, he had an unbelievable year. Overall, um, so you got him and Cronenworth. I'm sure is going to bounce back, and like you said, Tatis Machado. They they got a lot of players, man. I, I think Luis Camposano catching. I think he'll probably have a pretty big step forward this year. He can really swing it, man. He's got some some juice. I saw it firsthand. I don't. Blake Snell, Blake Snell was Cy Young. Yeah, him walking definitely hurts. Um, Seth Lugo, right, just signed, I think, with the Royals today. I think I yeah. saw. Uh, I mean, they're 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 definitely losing some guys, and, and they have some replacing to do. But that core, I think, there's too many good players there for for them to not be a good team. But you know that division, they got the Otani Dodgers now, and the Diamondbacks who lost in the World Series, who are young and bringing back, I I think, just about all those guys. So yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a fight. Yeah. That was, that was my next thing where it's just like the NL West now is like, it's so loaded and like you're, you're just waiting for the giants to spend money because they've seemed to be linked to every single free agent out there. Um, always the bridesmaid, never the bride, but maybe that'll change at some point. Um, but yeah, that, that division, I just, I worry that an 82 win team with like the best rotation in baseball last year and then you, you take out most of the rotation and mo- most of your depth from places, and you're like, yeah, we got to fill some innings. We got to get some power from somewhere. I don't know where they're going to get it on the cheap. That's my biggest concern. Yeah, they uh, Prowler's got some work to do. I'm sure they're doing it right now. I know they – listen, they lost Hader too. Uh, yeah. Nick Martinez was a big part of that bullpen and kind of swinging back and forth. Yeah, they 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 got some uh, some stuff to figure out, but – I just can't I, – I can't doubt those guys. I still think they're going to be a good team. Ooh, he brought up Nick Martinez, and I was watching MLB Network the other day, and I saw a weird stat, and I wanted your take on it because they said – because he went to the Reds, and we'll talk about the Reds briefly in a second. Um, 
but they said Nick Martinez's home and road splits were so like vastly different. And they're just like Peco Park is the ultimate pitcher's park because Nick had he had a three four three ERA overall, but he had a four and a half on the road and a two and a half at home. Um, how much of a pitcher's park is Petco? It's definitely a pitcher's park. It comes the marine the marine layer comes in at night, and sometimes balls just get literally knocked down. I mean, during the day, earlier in the day, the balls will fly, and then that time of night hits, and it's just like wall have fun um but it doesn't look or feel that big like playing there it's it's my it's beautiful stadium it's probably my favorite state like aesthetically pleasing stadium there is but um i'm surprised it was that big of a difference uh but cincinnati is the opposite so (laughs) yeah and that's why they're freaking out because they're like yeah we don't know about this the, the great American small park um, isn't a great place yep. to pitch. I don't think. No, but he's man. I mean, I, I didn't play with him. I, I missed him, but he seems like a pretty good pitcher and a pretty good competitor. I'm sure he'll, he'll figure it out. Yeah. That's well, I, I want to talk about the reds too briefly, where it's just like, they've been active in this winter, but they've been active in places that you wouldn't necessarily think. The big one, obviously, like we just talked about Martinez for two years. Hey, your buddy Emilio Pagan is also going there. Um, shout out to another two year deal, but, uh, Jamer Candelario three year deal, 45 mil. Um, the biggest thing for the reds. And we talked about this all last year was like, they have way too many guys, which is usually a good thing, but in this case, it's probably not. And that's why they had to let Votto go. Um, when they signed another corner infielder, did that surprise you at all? It surprised me a little bit to see that, but I think they're going with the philosophy of just collecting good players again you know and those guys some of those infielders are really good athletes they can move to the outfield if if, if they need them to I think I already saw talk about Spencer Steer going to, to left field um but then it, it depends on the day and the situation I know Ken, Candelario is a, a switch hitter I believe um so I think depending on matchups and stuff they can they can kind of work with that um but the how do I say this? A lot of those young guys were unbelievable last year in the infield, and statistically speaking, I think like at least one of them are probably due for a regression their second year. Just like I think, not 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 believing in them personally. I think just yeah. generally speaking in baseball, that's how it's gone at least for somebody. So maybe it's just kind of a um, what's the word? Not buffer, but like I like, can't even think of one blank. Insurance, like insurance. <laughs> yeah, like an insurance policy in case that happens for yeah. for somebody or injuries or whatever. So I don't think you know you can't have too many good players. So is it getting a little crowded? Sure, but can they move people around and and teach them how to do other stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, when they signed Candelario, that the initial reaction after that was. Well, Jonathan India is now, he's just as good as gone. Um, but their GM came out and said, we are unequivocally not trading Jonathan India. In fact, we're going to teach him how to play the outfield instead. Um, at, I mean, that's they're going to have him play second, first, outfield, DH. I love Jonathan India. I think he's like the heartbeat of that team. He's a, like a very fierce competitor. Um, but I there's just, wait, there's so many guys. I don't know what they're going to do figuring it out. And they have like five outfielders now. Like Jake Fraley, our guy TJ Friedel, like Will Benson, and then you're just gonna shove generic infielder into left or right. Like, I don't necessarily know how that's gonna work out. Is it easy just to take a second baseman and put him in the outfield? No, absolutely not. It's definitely not easy. I mean, it's a <laughs> it's it's a hard position to learn. But those guys are athletes. Can they do it in spring training and get good enough out there that if that's what the Reds want to do, they can do it? Yeah, sure. It'll they're just going to have to see and just see how it plays out. I think, I think time and just the games will, will work that, work that out. But obviously they believe in Candelario. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause he had like a good year in Detroit, bad year and everybody, and the Nats bought low on him and then they, they flipped him and it's like, he had a, this career resurgence or it's, it's, he's a great hitter. Um, okay. A couple last things for you. Uh, 
this is a quick one. Zach Greinke, I saw that John Morosi reported that he's preparing to pitch next year. He's he's 40 years old. He did go 2-15 and 15 for the Royals last year with like a 5 ERA. Um, so that's not great, but it makes my it makes my heart feel good that Zach Greinke's not going to retire. I'm so happy about that. Do you have a favorite Greinke moment or memory or anything stand out about Zach Greinke? Oh, I'm trying to think. Not like in game. I've never faced him or anything like that, but just the stories I've heard about him are hysterical and, and just like his humor and stuff. But the last year we were in Arizona for uh, spring training for my Korean team and driveline was using the fields too, like after we were done and he was pitching uh, there and it was just, everyone ran over and was like, Oh, it's that cranky. You know, I think it was just cool to see him pitch. I mean, he's been God, he's been, how many years does he have in the major leagues? Like 16 or something ridiculous. Like guys, a legend, the stories about him are hysterical and, um, you know, pitch as long as you can, man. I think I think some teams are going to be interested in him just for like that veteran back of the rotation innings eater. Hell, the Padres could be interested in him. Like that that feels like a cheap guy they could bring in. Um, yeah, they I mean they did that with Rich Hill last year, so why not? Hey, let's get the Zach Greinke to the Padres train going. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Let's do it. Um, okay, last thing uh, we tease this. It's the, we did the mystery at bat. Last time Brian was on, and this time we're going to do the mystery out, I guess. Um, okay, hang on. Let me get, let me get this. I'm so bad at, at technology. Let's get this pulled up. Uh, so we talked about this before, and this this is news to Brian. Okay. Um, so this is a defensive play from 2019, and it's actually, it's the toughest catch you've ever made, or I guess the best catch you've ever made in the big leagues. Um, it had a 60% catch probability. Uh, do you remember, do you remember this at bat? Do you remember, or do you remember what's about to happen? There's a couple that are in my mind, but if I had to guess, it would be Bryce Harper. Okay. No, it's Tim LaCastro. Let's see. Uh, we'll, is this go? Is this in Cincinnati? Yeah. Oh, mirror. Into left center field, hit well. Oh, Brady, we've seen him run down a few this week. And the big fella can... <laughs> the big fella. <laughs> the big fella can uh, run. They kept saying Yeah, that. Six, 65 feet, four seconds. Um, this is the toughest catch you've... I guess toughest slash hardest slash best, I guess. Um, this That's like that's pretty cool. Can you explain like getting a good jump and just like being able to cover ground in the outfield like that. Cause like that feels really hard to do. Yeah. I guess that was, that must've been a really good jump because it really didn't, it didn't look that hard <laughs> watching it back. But yeah, I think as an outfielder, you know, I've, I've always been, even though I've, well, the bigger I've gotten, um, I could really run like when I was 180 pounds in high school and early in college. But then when I started lifting more and getting bigger, I couldn't run as well, but I'm still, I'm still pretty fast uh, speaking. But for me, like the routes and jumps in the outfield were everything. Um, and that's how I got away with being able to play center field because of my, my routes and my jumps. And there, you know, what they started to have us do or what I, I did then, like, you know, we have the cards telling us LaCastro – against a mere left-handed pitcher, you're going to play like four steps towards right field or whatever. So I'm in the right center gap. That ball is to the left center gap. So what I would do is open myself up a little bit towards the left center gap. You know what I mean? Because I have more ground to cover that way. So it was just like a turn and go instead of just to try to make it easier on myself to get to that ball. But there it looked like I just got a really good read on it. And I took a, took a really good route to it and made the catch look pretty easy. Honestly, I'm kind of impressed right there. I didn't think it was that hard to catch, but appreciate that. Yeah. You've been gassing me up the past couple of days. I have to, dude. Yeah, again, you have to be reminded how awesome you are. Um, yeah, 60% catch probability. That Yeah, that was the lowest I could find. Um, 
did you ever have like an outfield coach or like anything that like somebody told you that helped you? Or is it just like when you worked with people in like Cincinnati or, you know, San Diego or whatever, like, were you so receptive to like the outfield, like the routes, the jumps, like, were you a student of all of that? Yeah, I've had a ton of coaches who really helped me, honestly. And even going back to college, um, Darren Fenster was our outfield coach, which is funny because he was an infielder. But he ended up being the outfield coordinator with the Red Sox for a while. He actually just took the assistant coaching job with the University of Miami. But he first got me in the mode of, like, when BP was going on, you're not just in the outfield, like, bullshitting. You're getting reads on balls and – getting better at that. So that was when I first learned that. And then once I got the pro ball in Cincinnati, a guy named Darren Bragg, who was a big leader, big leaguer. Um, Bragg, he's one of the best uh, just dudes ever. But we would talk about all sorts of things with routes and jumps. So he was probably the next one who like really got me going with all that. And he taught me, um, we used to do like an early group of hitting you know, so there'd be nobody. Usually during BP, the pitchers were all out there and, you know, all that stuff. But when the early group was hitting, there were nobody out there. Like, they, they would just hit, and then they would go pick up the balls themselves after they were done. So I would go out there in center by myself with, like, nobody out there, and you get all the balls you want while that's going on. So that was a another thing that really helped me and that I really liked um, with Braggy. And then Jeff Pickler was the, the Reds – outfield coach he was awesome um just really like telling us to be aggressive and like fuck it like trust yourself go for it don't play hesitant out here which i love and then in san diego wayne kirby was uh, was my outfield coach there orioles legend um man i really enjoyed talking with kirby about uh, because he he started telling me things about outfit like that i never thought of before um, one of them, like we in San Diego, we played way in the gaps. Like when I played right or left field, I was never close to line. Like we were way in the gaps. And the thought there was, you know, guys aren't trying to hit the ball down the line. And if they hit it down the line, it's probably double anyway. But if we can take away the balls they smoke in the gaps, they're going to be pissed and it's probably better for us anyway. So that was kind of the thing. And, and the setup with the openness, um, I'm talking like I would be – if I was in right field, my my right leg would be back more. So it was like an easier run to that gap. And so those were two things that I really loved there. And then the other thing we did in San Diego, man, backing up bases, things that people don't really see or casual fans might not see. But there was always a, a setup where, like, we would sneak in to backpick a runner at second base depending on how the backup situation was working because the year before, Grisham, they did it in, like – Grisham got a, a back pick from he went to second base to back up and the guy overran second base too far and they back picked him and Grish put the tag on him at second base and it's like this legendary thing <laughs> legendary thing there so the backing up was always something uh that I really respected and, and liked out of that too so there's been a ton man I know that was a lot but yeah there's you've you know there's been so many great coaches and guys who've done it before that you listen to what they have to say and they usually got something you never heard and can help you. I love that. Yeah. I, I would always hear Adam Jones talk about Wayne Kirby and just like how like elite of an outfield coach he was. Um, wait, so Trent Grisham came in from the outfield to cover second base. So the way we would do it, like it, I believe it was a ball in the, like into the left field corner, like the line. Mm-hmm. So right fielder is coming to back up that throw to second base right? Like, can you picture that angle? Mm-hmm. Grisham or center fielder, but in this case, Grisham is just like coming in towards the infield in case like a ball, they throw it to second and gets knocked away or whatever. And he's like there, you know what I mean? Like just because otherwise what he's, he's just standing in center field, not doing anything. So he's just coming in to be somewhere in case something crazy happens. Well, in this case, it was it's like I think if a runner is going home too, but we throw to second. Sorry, runner's going home, right? Runner batter is going to second, and he keeps going, like he makes a, a turn around second, assuming that the throw is going home, and there's nobody covering second. 
You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So Grisham snuck in for a back pick, and I think Manny turned and got the cutoff throw and then whipped it back to Grisham and back picked the guy who just hit a double with Grisham throwing the tag down at second base. That's awesome. I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm going to have to pretty, find that video. It's, it's like a wild, yeah, it's a wild play. Like, it does not really happen. But, like, that it happened the year before, so it was like, this is what we fucking do. We're backing up these bases, and we're going to be here for back picks in case. Because Manny and Tatis are like, hey, you know, Manny's going to turn you know, wing that shit right away. You think he cares? You know, <laughs> so it, like, worked out, you know, it worked out perfect. The Padres just have something, like, about them about defensively, because there was, like, Manny playing in, like, he was, he was like playing Rover and short, like right. And then he caught a yeah. ball on the, in like the freaking foul pole or something. Yep. Um, so yeah, you guys are doing it right over there in San Diego. That's fantastic. Um, well, cool. Okay. Well, that's all I had. Brian is a pleasure as always. I love every time you come back on, um, continue success with your training this off season. Happy holidays. Cause that's coming up here in a little bit. And, uh, I'm so thankful that you came back on. So I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Same to you. And uh, we'll do it again pretty soon here. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music. Playing on your radio, coming through your stereo and-